Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you all. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another segment of Saturday Morning Live. I'm you're joined by me at the studio, Shoaib Zafar, along with my colleagues Safir and Sajil. And we also have Madabur joining us over the phone because he is poorly, unfortunately. How are you all doing, guys? I'm good, Jazakallah, for asking. And how, how are you doing yourself? Alhamdulillah, very good, thank you. The rain has stopped now, so uh, my journey into the studio wasn't so bad. And the flooding seems to have cleared away where we are, from my roads that I've seen. How about you, Sajil? Well, good, Alhamdulillah. Um, I can't complain. I live on top of a hill, so I haven't really had to suffer any of the flooding issues that you guys have. But yeah, all is well. Brilliant, good. You're causing the flooding, Sajil, Great. Well, it's a brilliant. It's good to see you guys again. Um, it's good. To, I think we've got um, Safi. You've not normally. You're not normally with us, are you? No. So, um, is, it, is it your first time presenting with us? It is my yeah. first time presenting with you. Guys. But but your your dad's uh, your dad's a regular, so um, I think he's passed the knowledge down to you. So I'm, I'm sure you'll be fine. Um, well, Deborah, how are you feeling? Yeah, I'm just uh, clogged up. The yeah. usual crazy symptoms, but uh, alhamdulillah, can't right. complain too much. Well, I hope you feel better soon. Uh, so today we've got um, what the, the t- topic of discussion will be. We'll be looking into the far right, um, you know, uh, looking into why there's been a rise in it, specifically around Europe, and why there seems to be a focal uh, or focus on um, Islam being, um, you know, almost being the boogeyman here. And uh, the resentment that the far right are showing are, are mainly concerned around migrants, especially from Islamic countries as well. Um, but before we get into that, uh, which will be the second half of the show, we'd like to go over the you know the news stories of what's happening and just give a have a discussion around what's going on around where we are. So um, I don't know if Sajil, Madabur, or Safir, if any of you got uh, an interesting story you'd like to share, and then we can. Yeah, I, I can make a start. So. Um... I was just, uh, I came across one news story which I think is going to be quite relevant more for the younger generation. Mm-hmm. And there's been a sharp rise in the amount of young people using AI therapist bots. So obviously we know with ChatGPT and all these other AI systems, their popularity is going up, but um, there's a lot of popularity towards these therapist bots. So um, on one with one of these therapy bots, there's a total of 78 million messages including 18 million since November, which have been shared with the bot since it was created just over a year ago. And the popularity of these are going up a lot. 
and um, it's interesting because you know in the past maybe how young people would have uh, who they would have spoken to uh, you know potentially having parents or if they didn't have someone that they could speak to maybe that thing would be internalized so there's definitely positives to them having the ability to speak um, online but also there's things that we need to be uh, conscious of and those are things like you know are these bots providing the right type of therapy and the right type of advice for these uh, you know young people who are clearly in a vulnerable state and I think um, Madabir Khalid I think he's previously worked with um, people with uh, some level of mental um, conditions at least so I'm interested to know what Madabir thought about you know the the rise in the use of these uh, kind of AI therapy uh, bots uh, <clears throat> thank you for putting me on the spot, Dr. Joe. That's fine. <laughs> um, it's interesting. It, it, you've mentioned that it does. It's a, it's a positive in some in some aspect, but I will, I would see it as more negative than positive because um, the bigger part of therapy is actually having that human interaction. Mm-hmm. And I think that's obviously being missed out, and also um, people. If if this AI therapy is so easily or so readily available. I feel like it diminishes the um, like the severity of the, of the of the issue because then anyone can just be like, oh yeah, I've got a condition. I'm just gonna go and get some therapy online, or um, like it wouldn't it wouldn't be seen as important. Um, so with therapy, especially mental health for mental health conditions. As I mentioned before, that like the bigger part of it is actually having that human interaction where someone can really and truly understand what issues are, start asking deeper questions around scenarios, traumas, etc. Whereas, I don't know if, a, if if an AI system can really do that. I mean, AI systems are actually created by humans as well, so anything that it spurts out is going to be have to is going to have to be created by um, some like it's going to have some human element to it but it won't be that same sort of fluid you're 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 completely right actually so one of the um the the kind of mentions on this story is that there's a professional psychotherapist who tried out this um this chatbot and they had a couple of interesting things to say which i think reaffirms what madabra is saying so first of all the bot has a lot to say and quickly makes assumptions like giving advice about depression when i said i was feeling sad that's not how a human would respond and um she goes on to say um um, that we're happy to find people finding greater support connection through these characters um but they should still consult a certified professional um, in the field for legitimate advice and guidance and her main kind of reasoning for this is that that face-to-face uh, interaction you can acquire a lot more information from that someone's body language they're talking and all of these other things which definitely will play into the quality of therapy that the person will get which like I said I think comes back to what Madabra was saying but um, yeah so that that was kind of the the first news story that I wanted to discuss um, well, just before you move on to that one, I think it's a, ask, um, AI has always has been really interesting, especially now. So, I remember when Chat GTP, um, GPT, GPT, sorry, first came on, and um, I asked some questions relating to my work, 
and um, so I, I, I do the work I do we sort of look into countries and look at their fin- the financial risks um, in these countries when it comes to money laundering and terrorist financing so I just asked some broad questions and the responses it gave were incredible I thought okay great my job is done now <laughs> I'm just going to use this well obviously then I knew that okay and it, uh, eventually it did come out people in the news that old you know university and in, in, in high schools where people were using this, mm. this stuff to um, do their work for them Um and at some point, I thought, okay, at some point it will maybe come more into our life. And what you've said now with this is people actually using them for therapy is quite scary is how much are we relying on this? And I think what Mo, the point Mo said, which was so interesting, was that you, I think the point of therapy is having that human interaction there. And if you've taken that away, I think, you know, that there are a lot of me- mental conditions that have uh, occurred due to a lack of uh, human contact or having someone there to speak with. Um, and then if you're trying to fill that void with um, an automated system, I don't know how much it's going to help you. And then it, I've just also remembered something about deep fakes, um, since you mentioned AI as well. So I know this has been on the news a lot as well, where you know celebrities have been um, uh, sort of fake videos using AI technology, and they are like ultra-realistic. And it's... Uh, people have been uh, defrauded because of these deep fakes and 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 uh, you know um i don't know if you guys have looked into any of these videos but they are really really real um and I, I remember there was um there was a, a i think a social experiment where they had a, a young girl and what they did was it was her an ai system made her older and um and this video was shown to her parents where she was telling them that this is me when I'm older now and they were shocked and what she this whole video was made because of how much um photos they were posting of her on their socials so obviously AI was able to gather all this information and she was basically trying to tell her parents the danger of oversharing information what can happen um which was actually quite interesting yeah no definitely yeah. Yeah, and just on the topic of AI in general, whether it's the therapy or chat GPT, I think people, they use it without fully thinking it through. So I know I've just finished my A-levels and I know probably about 25% of my year group who were doing coursework, they used chat GPT <laughs> to write some of their coursework. Oh, okay. And I was like, you're just substituting your personal learning and giving it to something else to do. So I think maybe with therapy, I'm not an expert, but with therapy, the idea is to get to learn about your feelings and learn how to manage them. Whereas if you're interacting with something that is not human, you don't get the human interaction and you're also sidetracking the learning and getting to the answer before working through the root of the question. Exactly. Okay, that's a really so good point. I think that this is like one of the dangers of AI is people use it to like loosely and they don't really think about what they're substituting it out for yeah exactly i think like especially with such a sensitive thing like people's mental health you can imagine if you're someone who may just be having a normal period or feeling a bit down and it's not you know full-on clinical depression but you go online you talk to this chatbot and maybe it makes you believe that, oh, actually, you know, I do have something significant here. And this is a reason why I am unable to work or to study or to to do certain things. And, you know, it just shows the value of, of proper clinical care and not relying on something which hasn't been fully ratified. This system that I'm talking about was created by a student uh, in New Zealand 
just by themselves independently. Yeah. And yeah, is yeah, it, exactly what I was mentioning earlier, Sajil, that <clears throat> like anyone can just go on it and say, "Oh yeah, I'm sad about this," and then the the bot might not fully understand, and they will come back and say, <clears throat> "Yeah, you've got depression," <clears throat> and it sort of uh, diminishes uh, the the seriousness of of the thing. I mean, I feel like AI overall is uh, there. I think there's a number of issues with it, and I think Sajil touched upon. Um, it as well in terms of like you don't you you substitute it massively uh, you substitute your learning sorry massively and actually um, your development or your progression and actually tr- learning specifically is um, I think one of the key things that you miss out on I watched a video the other day that was uh, it was a funny video the guy was in an interview a video interview and one of the questions was like why do you think that you're good for this role? So he quickly put it into ChatGPT while he was on the video call. <laughs> and as he, he was just reading out the answer. And then, you know, like some of the um, part of the script of ChatGPT said like, insert job title here. <laughs> or insert, and he would just, <laughs> just read it out. <laughs> Honestly, we, we come across that like um, in my work, I, um, I, I read a lot of student master's presentations and their, their uh, written work. And it's very clear to me, at least at this stage, to tell when someone's used something like ChatGPT, because there's certain ways of writing which you simply don't do as a human. And you can come across that quite clearly when it comes to these things where we're talking about topics which aren't very well researched and there's limited knowledge out there on those topics. And in those regards, especially when it comes to these um, written assignments, within the space of basically the first page, I can pick out, okay, this person's clearly used ChatGPT. But however, our university has said that as long as a person references that they've used an AI system, it's okay. Mm. But typically they don't, and then that's something which we have to then call them up on. I can imagine the language just completely changing in their work Mm. if they've partially used it. It it goes from (laughs) one set of language to a completely different one. I think it would be quite easy to spot sometimes then. Um, but no, um, really interesting one. Um, I guess we'll, we'll learn more about this as 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 time moves on as well. Yeah. Um, we b- and start using AI more and more uh, how it how it moves into our lives. I don't um, I don't know if you've got what was this? There was um, an AI kitchen which basically does everything for you as well. So it's like got a robot and you just tell it what to do, and it will even cook for you. It will even clean the dishes for you, do everything for you. So AI generated. So who knows what sort of world we'll be living in um, in, in in a few years time. Yeah. And like um, the other story that I wanted to bring up, and the reason I mention it now is because it's quite related to this anyway, yep. um, is that there's been a real increase in the amount of prescription drugs sold online without ah, robust yes. checks. Mm-hmm. So um, really for someone to be able to prescribe a drug, they need a licensed uh, pharmacist to be working there. So when you go to Boots or Superdrug, there's a pharmacist behind the desk and you know they can prescribe you the drug. Now, what's happened recently is online you can also get get um, access to these drugs and they will have a licensed pharmacist there, but obviously there isn't that face-to-face interaction. There's a questionnaire oftentimes that someone will fill out and in response to that, they will be able to have access to that, pres- that prescribed drug. So now imagine you're that person who maybe, you know, it, like I said, it might have just been a period where you were feeling a bit down. It's nothing too serious, but yeah. from this AI bot, you've inferred that actually there's something greater wrong with me. You've then gone uh, to these uh, places online to look to get these prescribed drugs for your issue. And before you know it, you're someone taking drugs on a regular basis, which you probably don't even need, mm-hmm. which are impacting your health in other ways anyway. 
you know what? I saw that on on BBC News actually yesterday, and they um, they were saying that they had undercover journalists go into these mm-hmm. um, to apply. Sorry, to look at these pharmacies online, and they were able to. I don't know what the figures were, but they were a lot of. You you've got the figures. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. So. Um well, well done on finding the same news stories <laughs> I did. But, um, so yeah, the, the, it was basically some investigative journalism. So they um, selected three restricted drugs uh, f- like anti-anxiety and painkillers and, and sleeping medication. And they went to 20 businesses online um, to see if they could basically get access to these restricted drugs. So they found that nine of the pharmacies selling uh, the anti-anxiety drugs, they're able to access it. Three of the family pharmacies sold the anti-anxiety medicine to us on the basis of our answers to an online questionnaire and did not require further checks. Um, and in total, they were able to buy a potentially fatal dose of the anti-anxiety medicine. Mm. So again, you're putting your, you know, there's a young person who's already quite vulnerable but doesn't really have the experience. Now they potentially have access to these drugs. And, you know, there could be really detrimental uh, problems to the society in general moving forward. So I just think it's something we should be aware of. And, you know, maybe the counter to this is that how easy is it to access um, religious knowledge online in, you know, I know this is sounding like a bit of a tangent, but we also want it there to be as easy access to be able to get the answers to some questions, which maybe end up being religious. Maybe people have a religious void. Mm-hmm. And when they go online, that's something that they're searching for. Maybe that sense of being down is because they're lacking that thing in their life. And maybe that element of how quickly people can access the right type of religious guidance and knowledge online could be something that's worked upon as an alternative to maybe some of these problems that could develop. Yeah. I think that's a good point to do. Um, but also, I feel like with a situation like this, the more immediate um, thing would be, okay, well, why why are pharmacists even prescribing? Like, it, shouldn't it be the doctors initially that prescribe um, uh, medications? And I know that there's a thing where pharmacists can take a course or they can they can do this extra qualification, which allows them to prescribe. So basically, it substitutes the job of a doctor. I feel like that would the first course of action right it would be like okay who has control here who can actually prescribe uh, medication for patients who, who who can actually assess whether this person needs uh, medication or not rather than just filling out an online questionnaire but no you made you do make a good point but i feel like that would be just very specific to people that would consider looking for religious knowledge in the first place but yeah i think um the whole point around this stuff is um I think we everyone wants the answer straight away. Okay, I'm feeling this way. Why I'm feeling this way, and where's what can I get done about it? So I've gone to this AI. I'm feeling sad. Tell me I'm depressed. I've gone to this pharmacy. They've given me um, antidepressant drugs, and that's it. So you know, I think people are we're at the age of everything needs to be instant. Where these things, it's like a journey. It's like you said that your that learning that takes place between the question and the answer. People want to almost skip that step. I think it's obviously really important to understand how you get from where you are to where you want to be. There's a whole journey that that you shouldn't skip out on because that's that's the real answer, there, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I certainly think that the like anti-anxiety drug epidemic that's kind of going on is predominantly, well, maybe not epidemic, but like it's predominantly taken on by students mm-hmm. because of the stress of like exams, like A levels, uni work. And certainly, I I don't think that these people necessarily should be taking them. 
if they have not consulted a doctor. Because some people, they say, oh, I take this because it helps me focus and concentrate on my work. Whereas they don't look at the other side effects of what these drugs can do to you, especially as like your brain is not fully developed until you're 25. So you, you don't really know what's going on with your brain, chemistry and everything when you're young. And then altering it based on what an AI has said and then you've gone and done your own personal like research okay I'm going to buy this medication online is not necessarily the best course of action and like certainly I think that people who are my age like I know some people who have been prescribed it by the doctor rightfully so because they've gone through asked their parents their parents have taken them to the doctor and like etc but if if you're accessing this through the wrong means, mm-hmm. it it does harm. Yeah, I've exactly. kind of lost the point here. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I think I've I've got the gist of understood mm-hmm. the gist of what you're saying. Um, but no, um, quite a shocking shocking one anyway. Because I, I I know normally when when you do go to a pharmacist, like I've always understood why does it take so so long, and there's actually quite a, a rigorous checks they do before they give you the medicine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, you know that's why. So if you're gonna be able to go online and get something. Without yeah. these checks, I mean, that's quite... So, so quite I think, failing. like, um, coming back to how are the pharmacists or who's actually prescribing these drugs. So the way the system is set up is that there's different kind of um, drugs which have different... Uh, people can obviously uh, prescribe them. So some obviously are over-the-counter. There's some which a pharmacist would have to give you. There's others which a doctor would have to first see you before giving. So I do think there are systems in place there to make sure that it's done... Uh, correctly but that um, those rulings well that kind of system hasn't really been transferred to what would be online mm-hmm. I think there's mm-hmm. a lack there where we're ahead of our times in terms of the access to it but they haven't put in the right just restrictions just the technology I guess yeah, yeah. The technology so we have invested into and, that yeah. and like another thing was like coming back to, to the students so I um, invigilate um, pharmacy uh, exams final year before they become actual registered pharmacists and I've been doing it for about five years and every single year the amount of students with um, specific requirements in terms of how they're going to um, do their exams um, it increases so much so that 50% of the students now are not in the main room they're in separate rooms so once there's a room for people who for example are not comfortable actually writing so they have a scribe there's a room where there's people who um, specifically need twice the amount of extra time there's a room for people who uh, have to have less than five people in the room with them otherwise they feel a level of anxiety there's so many different things to the point where we have we had one room where there was in isolation and we had to have two people in that room with the person to make sure everything was okay at all times. So my point to you is just that as time goes on and people are having more access to things and maybe they're aware more so of what's going on internally, we're getting a real increase in the amount of people who are you know, needing specific uh, adjustments made to their circumstance. And it's even in the population of people who are going to be the next generation of pharmacists. Mm. Oh, that's quite shocking I'm yeah. really surprised to hear that I didn't think it was that bad but wow oh. yeah no I, like on, on this point I think that you've really got to look for the root cause of what like why people are needing these special requirements and if you look maybe I, I'm not sure on the statistics but I would I would probably say it's you said it's increased over the last five years and I think 
really is kind of off topic, but it's to do with social media predominantly, I think. Because I've just finished my A-levels about six months ago. And the amount of people who like post on social media about their studying and like all of this, they it kind of builds up an anxiety and an expectation from more than just the people in your class because you have access to so many other people. So like with the access, you're just putting on more stress on yourself because you're taking on extra opinions and all of this other stuff. Whereas before, like during my parents' time, there wasn't really social media. So you only knew the people in your class and you were judging yourself based on how they would do rather than the entire population doing your course. Mm -hmm. So I think like this impact of like increasing interconnectedness is not necessarily for the better in all circumstances. Like, yes, it's certainly good if applied in the right situation. But in terms of exams, I know I fully deleted all my social media. <laughs> like I had no time for any Instagram, like Twitter. I had You're no focused. time for this. You know what to do. That's good. That's good. That's great. Um, before we move on to the next story, we'll take a quick break. Um, just so, so we'd love for you to please join in as well. This is an interactive conversation. So feel free to give the studio a call on 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Actually, no longer tweet X us at, <laughs> X. at Voice of Islam UK. Al-Mumid. The giver of death, the one who brings death to all creatures. How can you disbelieve in Allah? When you were without life, He gave you life, and then He will cause you to die, then restore you to life, and then to Him shall you be made to return. In the idiom of the Qur'an, Allah is the name of the being whose excellences have reached the perfection of beauty and beneficence, and who suffers from no deficiency. The Holy Qur'an invests the name of Allah with all attributes, and thus indicates that Allah comprehends all perfect attributes. As he comprises every excellence, his beauty is obvious. By virtue of this beauty, he is named light in the Holy Qur'an, as is said. Allah is the light of the heavens and the earth. This means that all light is but a reflection of His light. It is imperative that nations and their leaders do not focus only on their own national interests, but consider what is best for the world at large. Dialogue with other nations and communities is vital and each party should work together with the spirit of tolerance and with the shared objective of developing true and sustainable peace in the world. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. 
broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you all. Thank you. Uh, still with us, at, uh, with me, Shoaib Zafar, with Safir and Sajil and Madhubra joining on the phone at The Voice of Islam, where we are going to be talking about the rise of the far right and with a focal point on Islamophobia and anti-Islamic rhetoric uh, coming also from migrants. Um, but before we move into the main part of the story, we're still going over some new stories. So uh, I know, Safir, you wanted to share something as well that you've, um, you've, you've picked up on. Yeah, yeah. So um, not, maybe not everyone knows, but the junior doctors of the NHS have started a six-day strike. I think everyone should know this everyone now, should yeah. know but um, I know certainly a lot of people don't know so like my my grandma for example she had an appointment and she was like oh it got rescheduled and I don't know why and I was like it's, it's because of the strike okay yeah and right. um, yeah no there's it's really impacted our system because junior doctors uh, I'm just reading from the NHS website here uh, they make up 50% of the doctors in the NHS and even if not all of these doctors are striking 50%, like a percentage of half of the population of doctors striking will not be good for the system. And I'm just reading here from the NHS website that in December, about 25,000 cancellations and rescheduled appointments had to be made with, of the population who use the NHS. And I know for me, certainly, I get very annoyed when I have an appointment cancelled and I've been waiting like let's say I have eczema and I've been waiting for a while and I can't get the prescription and all this so it's, it's actually very impactful not only to the system but to the people especially with doctors like when other professions go on strike it might not be as impactful because people don't necessarily use like the trains and stuff but with doctors again just reading from the NHS website the they are looking for a pay rise and it's a, it's supposed to be a six day uh, strike, which is yeah, and it's the longest in, the, in NHS history. The longest yeah. in NHS yeah. history, and over the the six days, they're looking to get a I think it's an eight percent rise in pay, but the there's no sign of the NHS going to give this rise because they they already gave previous rises, but it's just not enough to deal with the cost of living crisis that's going on especially for doctors so i think it's eight percent is what they're given what they've been given but oh, right. they they're asking for a 35 paying oh 35 percent yeah eight percent yeah. is what they're given 35 yeah. percent is, what, is what they're after yeah um so i think I've, I've i don't know you know whether this what would you agree in terms of this being right or wrong in your eyes and i don't know what, what would be your take on this guys so personally like um i teach a lot of medical students myself and mm. a lot of my f colleagues are uh doctors themselves so when i speak to them over the course of the last 34 years the amount of money you're going to make working um in finance or the business side of things compared to how it would be uh, as being a doctor in nhs 40 50 years ago you'd probably earn as much in the nhs uh, as working as a doctor as you would otherwise whereas now the pay rises in the NHS have just not matched what's been happening outside of, of, well, the NHS itself. So lots of these kind of medical friends, I was speaking to them saying that, you know, you guys are striking, but do you really think it's going to make a change? 
Mm-hmm. Now, from their perspective, yes, they think, you know, this will do something and and we'll see an increase. But they've been talking about this subject for honestly the last 20, 30 years. And there hasn't been an increase that they're happy with since then. So I, I asked them, I was like, look, when there's a tube strike, because that's such an important factor and the people who are the tube drivers are willing to leave their job in order to cause a change... The amount of increase of tube drivers, uh, their pay rises compared to NHS, they've done phenomenally well. Mm-hmm. So I said to them, well, why don't you do a real change where you <laughs> take a step back from the hospitals? Because right now, if there's cover, they're going to go in. Like you said just before the show, you know, there was a call that they needed some people to come in and they went in. So it goes completely against the nature of a doctor to allow someone to suffer. So at the end of the day, I think everyone's aware that a doctor... They're going to have to go in, and they're going to do it if the if the situation calls for it. Of course, they're going to do it anyway. So to, they're yeah. never really going to get that increase. And the consequence of this is that many of the good doctors in the UK are now either moving into private healthcare or yeah. moving abroad. Exactly. Yeah, that's a big. How, thing, how many it? you know students who have just finished their medical degrees are now going abroad to practice? It doesn't really make sense to stay and work within the NHS where your hours are not so good, you're not getting paid well, and, you know... Talking about how much debt you've come out with as well. I don't know how many years of studying years, but the debt you come out with... Seven years, isn't it? For for doctors, seven years yeah. of study for um, getting paid not a lot. Yeah. And yeah. I'm also reading here, in uh, one article it says that uh, the pay is not the only reason the doctors are striking. Uh-huh. It's also due to the working conditions which are not ideal, such as overtime. Mm-hmm. So I, I certainly know I have some doctors in my family, like my uncle, and he he's luckily, um, after what, probably about 15 years of hard work, he's been able to leave the overnight shifts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So he's, he can stay home. But that's after 15 years of work. Mm-hmm. So being on call as a doctor having to stay at the hospital for multiple days in a row and and really being overworked is also not good for the system necessarily because you don't want doctors that are tired to to be like analyzing you and telling you this is wrong because their brain might not as be like might not be as sharp because of the tired. like i know when i'm tired i can't focus correctly and I get stuff wrong all the time. And they've made a point about this. They did say this that obviously, you know, if we if you're if a doctor is tired, they can't provide the level of care they can be able to. And also, given how you know how overstretched they are as well, they can't provide the level of care that they do need. So it does overall, it, it will end up impacting, you know, the local population as well. Um, I mean, I know definitely in in the lot. I mean, 2023 was definitely a year of strikes as it was mm. multiple strikes. So this isn't something that's just happened now. This has been going on, I think, uh, since last year. But this is the longest in, H- in NHS history. And I definitely know that when it, you know, years ago when I called my GP to make an appointment, I, I very rarely would have to wait, get a, the pickup mm. straight away, and more or less probably get an appointment the same day, if not maybe in, in, in a day or so, or maybe in a, even a week, right? Now, when I caught my GP, I think it says you're like number 50 in the queue. So I have to wait through that. And then when you do get an appointment, it'll be like, if it's not an emergency, yeah, in about three weeks' time, yeah, we can try I, and see you. I mean, the you're right. I mean, the, the wait times are so bad now that it puts people off going in to get something checked. Mm. Maybe that was the intention. But, <laughs> but the point is, though, is it's just not the, the system as it is. The NHS is clearly underfunded and... Um, I don't really see things changing. And the question really, I guess I'd ask you guys is, do you think that, 
you know, maybe this country just generally is going towards privatization of healthcare, whether mm. it's um, out there and and they're and they're telling people about it, or they're trying to do it by suffocating the NHS so much so that that has to be the next step. Yeah, I mean, certainly, I think the they're even privatizing the NHS. So I remember seeing something around last year that a certain amount of the NHS, which was it was a large percentage, was privatized by like different companies and stuff, which actually puts more strain because on on the NHS government side because then they have to pay for essentially their own services but i i do know like from personal experience like so my my family we've lived abroad and we've worked abroad privatized healthcare is a very good solution if it works with the system so i think as we've had the nhs for what since just after world war ii i think we've had the nhs for so long that i don't think privatization personally would work in this country because the people are so reliant on all oh, the nhs is free having a state sponsored yeah. whereas the insurance that would come with medical care would really shock the people because they'd have to lower the taxes for the nhs and stuff mm-hmm. to then pay money towards the insurance so it it would really not be a practical idea for the people of this country when, when you do you know what when you do think of that yeah i think of uh, america because obviously america's got a, you know it hasn't got a, a state funded a system like us um and there's, you hear lots of horror stories out mm. there. Obviously, we're only going to see the bad stuff sitting over here, but it does scare me. I mean, I think a lot of people are quite lucky. Um, I myself, I mean, certain people in, in the companies they work for do get private medical insu- uh, medical cover. Um, uh, and, it, and it is actually a lot faster. I mean, yeah. times where I've, I've, I've been lucky enough to use mine and it's, you know, it's really, it, it's really helped. Would you say, like, I haven't experienced private healthcare in the UK, would you say that the quality of healthcare oh, it's, it's another level yeah yeah it's, it's completely different uh, comp- uh, honestly I mean I mean I, I feel bad I remember when Rishi Sunak that people found out that he had a private GP and the uproar that came so I hope <laughs> no one's going to blame me for having this um, uh, but I'm not a, I guess I'm not a civil, a civil servant um, I mean it's the, 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 when I so I, I I see that the junior doctors even now I think they do all doctors would strive to provide the best care they can for their patients no one wants to be rushed to come in like because when i do when i have gone into um an nhs gp for myself or my, for my children it is very much what can we do for you quickly what's the issue okay here's this and th- th- there's not and i thought okay that's just the norm that's how it's done here and it wasn't until i went to a private gp about something and then and you know we didn't even we didn't we hadn't yet got to what the issue was it was first how are you okay what do you do for a living <laughs> What's this? What's your family life like? Oh, what do you do over the holidays? What do you do? And he built a good picture to understand me um, before we can even get to what the issue was. He just wanted to understand me. Um, and he was very patient and took the time to get to know all this information. So then he could then, when I when it did come to me telling him what this was, he knew, okay, so you don't stress. You're not stressed because of you did this in life or you go gym regularly so it can't be there or whatever it may be. I mean, he really got to know me and, and I was like, okay, do you know what? This is actually how it should be. And I'm sure all doctors would want to have the same amount of patient. No no one would want to rush and, and give the wrong diagnosis. Everyone would like to spend take the time, but unfortunately, the, the you know, the NHS doctors and GPs, they just don't have the time yeah. to do that. Just on that no. point, I, oh, do you want to go, go with that, Yeah, I was just going to say, like, all of this, um, this, this whole issue with the NHS, like, we know that um, 
one of the reasons or one of the biggest reasons why um, the NHS is struggling is because it's overcrowded. Like, it's massively overcrowded in terms of the amount of issues that are coming to the NHS. I was going to ask, um, because it's free, so basically it means that, like, it's our own, own personal choice, our personal lifestyle that's causing issues for why we need to go to the NHS and the NHS are then burdened. Um, so I was going to ask, um, do you feel that because the NHS is free, that we don't that we don't then or the the the, the population then doesn't take proper accountability or responsibility of their own healthcare because subconsciously they're probably thinking, oh, you know what, like it's all right if anything does go wrong, like I'll you mean it's take if it's yeah. taken for granted. Yeah, basically, because you know, like you mentioned before about America. And yeah, we do hear of the like crazy stories of receipts and stuff. And I've seen online like hundred over hundred thousand pound, uh, sorry dollars um, mm. worth of a hospital bill. Um, but then surely, like if I was ever hit with a bill like that, I'm doing my utmost <laughs> to make sure. Go in hospital again. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I'm not going to get sick now. It's too expensive <laughs> to get sick. No, I think I think um, certainly whenever anyone mentions private healthcare or privatized um, hospitals and things like that they tend to only focus on America because the issue is so big there but we're forgetting about the other like 190 yeah. so countries that don't have free healthcare but their healthcare system works very well mm-hmm. because with medical insurance like so my my mum and my brother they live abroad in Dubai and you have to have medical insurance to get residency there and their medical insurance is brilliant. It's provided by the my mum's workplace for both my brother. He's um, just about to turn 15, so he can't have a job. And my mum, who works, she's a teacher. And the medical insurance is provided by her school, and it's full coverage. Mm-hmm. And like the cost to her would be essentially nothing because their system works well. So I think privatised healthcare is really like outscaled by America's just dominance over the space yeah, and people are like oh I don't want this it's just because you remember the, yeah. the bad stuff don't you but I think what Mo's saying I mean remember there was this whole talk about people missing appointments and they were trying to work out whether should people be fined £10 who don't come to appointments because you know they could easily be missed I mean uh, you, you know if I've booked a restaurant and I can't come I'll always let them know before I look I'm sorry I'm not able mm. to make it for X, Y, Z reason but yeah but I think because it's free and an NHS appointment and you know that someone else that appointment could have gone to someone else who might have really needed it you've not bothered telling them about it that it is a bit mm. unfair I think there's a level of extent where people do take it for granted and, and you know like a, an interesting element to this again because I've kind of uh, closely related to the field is um uh a cousin of mine works in the private healthcare at um, uh, a cardiac kind of specialist place. Mm-hmm. So the consultant who works there with him um, works obviously in the NHS, but he also does his private um, healthcare as well. So when he's working privately, obviously ordering another test, another thing to be checked, another blood test, whatever it may be, there's no limitation on that. And if anything, when you're working in the private industry, the people who own these companies, they're going to encourage these additional tests because it just adds to that bill that they can eventually charge. And, you know, as a result, they're going to make that money. However, in NHS, that same consultant doctor, um, my cousins also worked with him within an NHS place, and he applies the same principle in terms of, look, 
I want to do as best as I can by each of these patients. So I want to do all of these tests. And when he equally has that viewpoint in the NHS, mm. everybody comes down on him saying, you're ordering too many tests. We don't need to do this thing. This isn't necessary. And as a result, you know, you have a professional consultant here who's been working for however many years being told that, look, it's not worth you doing this additional test, which may be beneficial to the patient because it, we simply don't have the money for it. So, you know, I, I truly believe each and every doctor, well, not each and every, but the vast majority of doctors genuinely want to do good. They genuinely want to help. Mm. Their, their main thing that they go by is do no harm. Now, in able to do that, they want to be able to do as many tests. They want to be able to focus, like you're talking about, have they had a sufficient amount of sleep. They want to be able to focus fully on their job to provide the best type of healthcare. But the way that the system is at the moment, with NHS at least, is it's almost discouraged mm. because of the lack of funding. So it just it's, it's one big kind of vicious cycle. And, you know, hopefully there's some light at the end of the tunnel, but... It's difficult to see it from my perspective at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I see um, what you mean. I've just remembered that um, I think people genuinely forget that private doctors and NHS doctors are actually trained the same. Like they're not, oh, a private doctor is this X better than an NHS doctor because they have more knowledge. This, this is not true. It's because the private doctors have the time to exactly. recuperate themselves, sleep, focus on patients because there's less stress for the amount of patients so and if, they're well compensated yeah. as well <laughs> and if you, if you just simply compare like the two doctors they know the same so, so you've got to really underlie like look at the underlying issue of the funding mm -hmm. and the amount of hours that doctors have to put in That's because sad. if if the funding is not enough then you can't do essential tests and if they're putting in too many hours then even if they can do the essential test who says they'll remember to do it like so if if the if it's all focused on the patient side of it then the doctor side will be compensated with it mm -hmm. so i think definitely the the funding system of the nhs needs some sort of change in the uk yeah and you know the, the other thing is that people who let's say there's these doctors like we're talking about these junior doctors they then work in the nhs for however many years to get to the level where they're a consultant once they're a consultant then a private industry is willing to take them on as a doctor mm. because you have someone with real experience there and this is currently the process for most doctors in the uk they know right now that they're not going to be compensated like you said for their work while working in nhs mm -hmm. so as soon as they can do some private work on the side why then it not? makes their job <laughs> yeah. viable but otherwise you know they want to help people and all of a sudden okay now we can no longer kind of help the people that we initially set out to do to, to, to help we're now focusing more on the private industry because we simply need to you know live comfortably and the nhs at the moment or at least the funding of it isn't able to provide that mm. that's why i mean let's you know i think we said 2020 was a year of protest unfortunately has not for I guess student doctors the year hasn't started off to be so great um, let's hope that they are able to come to uh, some sort of resolution with the government and, and to, um, to start helping people again um, I want to move on to the next story now which is um, about the post office scandal uh, this has been on the news recently uh, I think before the show when we spoke about it. I'm not sure if you guys hadn't known much about this or whatever yourself as well um, but basically, so before the post office was privatised, obviously it was the UK's um, government that was uh, running it. 
And what happened was um, back in the 90s, they uh, towards the end of the 90s, actually, they started using uh, an, an automated accounting uh, process, uh, which was a software that um, basically monitored all transactions at the post office. Now, um, a number of, um, over the years, what happened, I think it's in the hundreds of, of post office managers, postmasters were um, arrested charged um, for fraud uh, because you know figures weren't adding up um, and these pro these uh, post office uh, managers were protesting their innocence uh, some were handed down uh, prison sentences um, some you know financially penalized people went bankrupt and there were a number of uh, there were a few suicides on the back of this and um, what happened what we didn't know at the time was that um, there was actually a, a glitch in this system so um, this system uh, Horizon um, had a, had an issue so these were wrongful con convictions uh, where people were you know wrongfully convicted of these crimes so they hadn't done this and again no one had known this stuff was going on in the background I guess these postmasters were you know claiming compensation from the from uh, the post as well trying to get their convictions overturned as well and uh, recently there's a show that's come out uh, Mr. Bates versus the post office um, because this has come to light so now it's in the news and there's been calls almost to the person who's uh, sort of head of the post office to hand back her CBE to you know to to be fined to, to, to be held accountable for this and now actually the post office is being investigated for um, potential fraud over this scandal that's happened, um, but yeah, this it's just really sad because when 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 I when I when I was looking into this a bit more and looking at the figures of the number of people that had been um, wrongfully convicted, so people actually had to go into prison for this, you know, um, and that's just really shocking. When even if you've gone to prison for a few months, or you know, people there were some people who had gone for I think at least nine months at least, uh, if not longer, uh, and going to prison mm. and then you know having a business taken away from you over something where you know it wasn't your fault and no matter what happened no one's going to listen to you i just can't imagine what these people had gone through um and they have now spoken to they've spoken out and they're speaking to uh, different media outlets where they've been telling them that look now you can see this show shows you know what we went through and it's, I'm, I'm glad it's coming out now and and you know they're trying to be compensated as well but you know that time you, you can never get that time back and it's just really sad isn't it that these um uh, that has happened so I don't know if you uh, if you heard about this or any, any of you as well um, but um, you know th th this reminds me like if it wasn't for this um, this show that's come out and it, it, I've noticed this on, on quite a few things where it's almost like how how we learn about his, history what things have happened is by the shows that we've been watching um, those we wouldn't have I would have not known about this scandal had, had taken place um, but yes yeah, I mean it's quite shocking it, it just reminds me of another show um that uh, where you know again, I would have never have known these things would have taken place. There was a show called How They See Us, I think, and about it's about um, uh, these young black boys in America who were accused of doing um, a heinous crime of of of, of rape, and um, what happened was it ended up being that they were coerced into confessing to this crime, and the lady who was behind the you know getting them convicted had gone to sell multiple books and you know get loads of deals and such and when this show came out there was uproar against her and then you know they you know she lost her publishing whatever com the companies didn't want to publish her books no more and so, so uh, you know all these things that happened 
we wouldn't know about this and people would have gotten away with it and so you know whoever was running the post at the time you know nothing would have would have happened to them but now it's come to light obviously the public are outraged that how can you allow this to happen and obviously now the post office is privately owned as well but calls for like uh, you know giving back your cbe um you know what do you guys think i think it's good that um <clears throat> like you say when when people draw attention to something there might be many people who feel a certain way but they don't believe that they have you know just right to actually uh, protest out or to try to get um justice for for what's happened so it's good that you know that very first case in the show that you mentioned that that came out that's now had kind of a snowball effect and it's great that this put a light on this situation um and you know i hope those those people are are given you know fair retribution for for what's happened um so i mean well, i think i mentioned briefly so like the the nh the, sorry the post office uh system at the moment it's now private so i'm just interested to think like how who's going to actually fit the bill of of what's happened to these people i think it was still falls under the post office it was uh, her name was paula venables she was um chief executive of the post office in 2012 so whilst so this is after the scandal so whilst people were then now um you know trying to proclaim their innocence she was the head and what was said the Guardian reported that she tried to bury the scandal. Um, she was stopping um, uh, an audit off the post as well to 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 um, to determine whether there was wrongful convictions or not. So she's actually been, <laughs> I guess, accused of um, you know presiding over the biggest miscarriage of justice in British history. That's quite a title to be remembered by as well. Quite a shocking one. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, a uh, you know, horrible one. But yeah, she earned a lot of money during that time as well so yeah so you know the the um the example you gave of what happened in the u.s yeah what was the connection between those uh those boys who actually claimed that they well they said that they had done committed the rape and the connection to the woman who was then they were just in the in the the wrong place at the wrong time yeah i think i think i know the the story that you're talking about um i think actually i learned it in school Okay. Yeah. Um, it was talked about in school, uh, and that's where I kind of know about it. But um, it kind of goes back to this, like wrongful convictions yeah. and stuff. And the problem with this is the awareness. So when a case is big, for example, like I don't know the and televised, like Johnny Depp, yeah, his case, everyone had their opinion on it. Everyone was weighing in on on that situation. But when the case is small, and then marginalized by the higher ups of the post office for example then it doesn't get the awareness that's needed and it just goes under the under the rug essentially until someone decides to make until, a show about it and so someone and then it's out there then you then there's no hiding from it which really is it just means it's a miscarriage of justice driven by the population rather than the courts of course so it's it's not the fault of um the people certainly not if it's a glitch in the system but the the courts and the people with the money fighting against them for the conviction is it's just a miscarriage of justice which nowadays you think wouldn't happen but it happens quite a bit but we're not aware about it because of where it's said like in the news or on social media it's more the accusation uh, so, uh, um, accusation of the, of the chief um, C, uh, chief uh, uh, of the post office at the time in 2012 mm. who was trying to stop 
the investigation to stop looking into whether there was something wrong in this. I think that's where the issue is, and that's where people want to be yeah, compensated. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, um, I guess it's just sad that why we need to wait for um, these TV shows. But on, yeah. on a positive as well, that you know, at least it's picked up. People know mm. what's going on. Um, and yeah, just really terrible, you know, really sad news for the people who have obviously served these times and hearing someone's individual stories of, of, of what happened to them and how they lost their business. And it took all these years for them to be, if essentially yeah. be thinking that people, they would have been labelled a thief up until this point where they realised, oh, okay, do you know what? Yeah, and also wrongfully convicted. Like, I, I recently watched, a, like, a acting prison documentary where celebrities went into prison. And I was like, if a normal person who doesn't really have a background of, let's say, like, violence or something like that, they just went into prison, which is what the show was really about, mm-hmm. um, it really, it, you saw how it impacted these celebrity figures. Who, so imagine the local people, yeah. yeah like, how, how within a couple people. of days, these figures were really changed by the environment that they were in. Like, mentally, they were, they were doing sort of activities that happened within the prison, and they had they had not been convicted. So if you're wrongfully convicted, you got to think how this will impact the person who's wrongfully convicted and what reprimands they'll get for, you know, if, inshallah, they win the case against them. I think yeah. that's what makes it so hard to stomach because, like you're saying, that those the person who was ahead with the CB, knowing the fact that how much it can impact someone's life going to prison and everything else, and was still, still willing to, to, yeah. to mm. put, hush, put it under the rug. Well, um, well, we're going to be moving to the second part of our show soon. We'll be discussing uh, why the far right is rising in Europe, um, and you know, just looking into why is it why immigration seems to be a main cause of their concern, and specifically Islamic immigration from uh, major- Islamic majority countries as well. Uh, we'll be discussing that after the break. Uh, please feel free to get involved. Uh, call us on o two o eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight or X us at Voice of Islam UK. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمدا Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum. Peace upon be please be upon all of you. Welcome back to the Voice of Islam. Uh, joined with my me, Shweb Zafa, Safir, and Sajil in the studio, and Mother Khalid on the phone. Uh, another segment of Saturday Morning Live. As I've mentioned before, this is an interactive show, so we'd love to get your thoughts and opinions. Please feel free to call us on 0208 687 7878 or X us at Voice of Islam UK. 
So the second part of our show, we want to discuss uh, around, have a t- talk around why the far right seems to be rising in Europe, um, what the cause of their anger is, and why a lot of it is seems to be directed at uh, immigrants and mainly immigrants from Muslim majority countries, uh, which is then causing uh, anti-Islamic rhetoric uh, around Europe. Uh, so, uh, you know, first of all, I mean, just generally, I mean, in your whoever would want to go first i mean would you agree that there is a, a rise of the far right in europe yeah I, 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 I would certainly agree with that especially as of um post pandemic mm-hmm. so um doing some research into this topic um a lot of governments such as i've got a list here italy poland finland and hungary they have elected people like prime ministers or presidents whichever system they use as far right Mm -hmm. so i know italy was certainly the um one of the big ones that happened because they take a large portion of the eu revenue and stuff Mm -hmm. and they donate to that and then that that was elected ones just to be clear and then as of um far right parties or right-leaning parties in europe that have gained a lot of popularity that would be the Netherlands, France, Germany, Sweden, Belgium, and Spain. So that that's quite a lot of the countries in in Europe, and especially with like France, Germany, Spain, they have quite large economies. So if let's say they are they take the majority in their parliament system, or they take the presidency or like prime minister seat, that would really impact the whole. Um, not narrative, but the like how the European Union would operate, for example, or the politics in Europe, how that would operate in terms of like globalization, for example, like how interconnected countries are and how how trade works, for example. Exactly. It's going to have such a big fact because I know we we, we want to focus um, the far right in terms of um, the reason, I guess, you know, there is. Islamophobic um, traits and, and anti-Islamic rhetoric, but I think the idea of far right is that sort of anti-establishment. So mm. technically, if every, if entire if all of Europe did become far right leaning, there wouldn't be a European Union then because yeah. they'd want to break away from that, right? Um, it's not, it's such a I mean without going into the politics of how it's d- defined, um, but you wouldn't you're more anti-establishment. You wouldn't want to be part of a connected sort of yeah yeah yeah. I, so uh, I saw the um, Italian prime minister actually said something on this when she was campaigning. She said um, at first she was anti-European Union, like you said, like how they would think. But then she said um, no, we should reform the European Union mm-hmm. in a different way. So. It's it's kind of anti-establishment because you like essentially she's saying I want to fit the narrative to how I would like it yeah and reform the establishment rather than leave break it. away from it yeah I think she might have seen the downfall of uh, the UK after Brexit you know the economical impacts the impacts yeah. with immigration and trade I mean the UK doesn't have a far right leaning party but mm. we we understand that the government is. Um, sort of almost moving to more rightward leaning um topics i mean that that have come into things so immigration has yeah, been a yeah. big thing stopping the boats stopping migrants and and this has become a big thing and and pretty much all over socials um with what's happening in the world i mean there's you know it's happening in america as well where they've where they're having you know uh, prop their own problems with immigration uh, and illegal migrants uh, coming into the country 
but it's almost then it's some people have uh, sort of hitched onto this wagon to then bring up their own issue that okay yeah let's stop the migrants but let's also get rid of these people and let's get rid of those people and let's get rid of these people because this is the country it's for these people they're taking away mm. our culture and there's a whole thing I remember when uh, the the last Home Secretary pretty uh, sorry um, Suella, Suella Braverman, Braverman yeah, yeah Braverman she mentioned um, how multiculturalism has failed and I know this seems to be a point where when I was growing up I thought multicultural meant something positive but not, the, not at this time multicultural is almost a, a, a negative uh, thing right uh, and uh, I know over here I think it's almost a, a bit of a when I've seen it on socials being used it's being used as a negative thing that look here's a multicultural person doing X, Y, Z and it's to you know show them doing something bad and because they're not maybe that there's someone who is a culture that isn't associated with Europe or, or in England um, they want to point that out um, so definitely I think it has been um, a push towards that um, I think it's just it's almost like uh, there's other issues going on I don't know if government to me it seems like you know we we know this is the case where governments will use um distraction tactics where to to cover up their failings so you know we've got issues going on we've just mentioned the doctor's strike we've got this post office scandal happening we've got crazy weather whether you know why are homes being flooded here um where are flood defenses what's happening with the cost of living what's happening with inflation uh what's happening with homelessness there's just so many issues in in, in the country and I think almost okay let's look at what's the topic that we can really focus on okay we've sorted out brexit we've sorted out covid almost and now we're going to move on to oh let's let's pick up on this now immigrants they seem to be the issue now illegal migrants come crossing the channel let's pick up on this and um, because i mean this isn't just started now this has been happening for a long long time um migrants crossing into the end of of course with the issues that are happening around the globe people are now obviously you know fleeing um, homes and and flowing their, fleeing their countries to come to 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 here to more for safe passage. Yeah, and um, I was just thinking about like like you're saying, you know, there's certain punchlines which will really grab attention and turn heads. So I do wonder if in these countries which we're now saying are now more far right leading uh, leaning, is it a case that those people who are voting for those parties are fully far right themselves, or at least they consider themselves that, or is it that there's one thing? in particular they think is an issue and that you know that buzzword has been said by that far-right group immigrants or you know we're going to come on to this later a bit you know islamophobia or you know it could be something let's leave the eu whatever it may be there's one or two of these little buzzwords which they may be you know thinking oh actually i associate with that and then they end up going towards far right but maybe that's not who they yeah, are no um in, in doing research for this i actually looked into the personal feelings of party members because I was like this is quite interesting as to how someone can like just from my personal view how someone can align themselves with this view of like not necessarily hatred but anti-immigration anti like we're getting on to this later but Islamophobia and so uh, in, in doing some research on this uh, so recently as of December France actually passed a bill which tightens immigration so it makes it harder to get in the country and become like a, a resident of the country. Yeah, yeah, citizen of the country. And then also doing this, uh, looking into the what the people thought, um, in the Dutch party uh, called the Freedom, uh, the Party of Freedom, 
they have a highly nationalistic view, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But then if you align it by having a disliking towards a certain group of people, that can be, be very bad. Because I know me, certainly I was born in England. And if someone asks me, I'm saying I'm British. But it, it's not I'm British and you're, you're bad because you're not. It's I'm British. What are you? We have to have a certain level of humanity between people because at the end of the day, we're, we're people. Like whether you're an immigrant or you are born into a country, we're all people and you have to have a certain level of respect between people, which is what I don't really understand about the, the views of the right and these policies that they're making of anti-immigration. Like it should be regulated, I think, because you don't want to have too many and putting stress on the system like the nhs for example but if it's regulated in a way that is like hateful or a disliking to like groups of people especially with the rwanda policy they're like nope no one's coming illegally here we're not going to help them we're sending them away straight away (laughs) that that seems to be the issue though for people isn't it they're just they're not happy with um the controls we have in place and the controls aren't effective either um so a lot of people are you know are, you know are not happy with their governments all because they're allowing uh, their country to be taken they feel that their country is being stolen i mean these seems to be the what things i've picked up on from 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 my experience that what what people are unhappy with i mean it's almost like they are fear losing that identity losing their culture um because the, the another thing is is I don't I think people if you do unless we're talking about multicultural if you are coming to a country such as the UK I mean um, you know there's there's a, it's a different culture it's a different way of living and you should adapt this I mean um, I think me even my parents you know who were in Pakistan and coming here um, it's a huge change but they have adapted to living in the UK. I've adapted to living in the UK. I understand how how culture works. I understand how to integrate into the into society. I think I have no issues with that. Um, but I think what people fear is people doing the opposite who come here and who 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 do who don't wish to you know uh, become involved in this culture or to wish to integrate or wish to mm. just you know keep to themselves and and try to build their own culture interests and and force that onto others. That's the fear that people have. Yeah, and you know. I wonder if these people who have those fear, has that come about through personal experience or has it come about through what they've seen in certain news outlets or social media? Because let's say people like your parents, people like my parents and, you know, who've, who've come over here and have done, you know, what they can to adapt to the culture. And I wouldn't say that we're against the British culture in any way. But that seems to be the idea in people's heads who are going and voting for these more right-leaning parties because they think this is a problem in the country that's just it isn't it it's it's the thought process i think um you are if you have a polarized view if you're relying on the media sorry uh, and you're just you know getting your information from there you will have a very polarized view of everything in the world you're just gonna be shown one narrative Mm -hmm. um that's one of the reasons i actually came off social media because of how social media works is you click like on one thing they understand okay this person is more left-leaning this person more right-leaning let's keep pumping information that's going to appease them so you will always just see one side of the story Uh, and then there's that whole thing of you fear what you don't know so unless you're gonna you've got someone who maybe you know 
from another country, you haven't got any friends or whatever, you don't know what this sort of group or this religious sect or what they're about, you will never truly understand them and, and you will fear them because you just don't know and your views will be derived from a source which might be negative towards that person. So you just ne- will never know the yeah. truth, but that's what you'll believe. I think that um, certainly not knowing about the people is an issue because they go in with the mindset of, oh, curiosity killed the cat. Mm-hmm. But this is, I think this is not necessarily the fault of either side. Like, oh, it's only this side's fault or that side's fault. It's, I think it's the fault of both. Because mm-hmm. once on one side, you're you're saying, I don't like these people, but you don't know anything about these people. So you've formulated a baseless opinion. Mm-hmm. But on the other side, the other, like the people who are, have immigrated, they're not doing necessarily outreach to these people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's there's like a kind of dead end on both sides. If you don't outreach to someone, then how are they going to know about you? Mm-hmm. And if you don't look for someone who you don't know about, then you're not going to know about them and you're going to create a stigma in your head based on what you see on social media. This is this is where I think the media has a huge role to play because I think at, at the moment we will only see the negative stories of... of um, of these things i know um for example when they're talking statistics they might say oh you know out of the people that came to the country in x year 50 percent of them or 20 percent of them have criminal convictions but that's what the media will pick on they won't pick up on the 80 percent who've come here lived a peaceful life and made a, a genuine contribution to society or, or who've integrated well it will never be that side will never be picked up on but then they will all stay will even though they've done nothing wrong they will suffer the consequences because of that other 20 percent and it's it's unfair um but again it's just that whole side of fearing what you don't know and and this is what i guess this is where where it's hard to find out who is at fault here or what can be done to fix this and can we blame people for thinking the way they think um because they've not you know this is all they know Mm -hmm. i think like the way i see it is that that if people are well educated and they understand what's going on and they don't take things at face value like you're saying if you have some proper knowledge of you know the basis the basic you know structure of this government or this country then when you see these news articles and these headlines which are meant to be eye-catching you're instantly gonna be aware that actually wait there's more to that like you said there's 20 percent who maybe have done such and such but 80 percent where it's fine so those are the people where you know you, we're going to want to focus mm. there are, it, what we were speaking about in the first hour and when we were saying how people want uh, I mentioned that people want the answer they don't want to uh, do the journey to get to that answer just, this is the issue what's the answer it's almost like here what's the issue it's, it's illegal immigrants they're the problem but not understanding everything like you said without understanding things properly off in, in the whole context mm. uh, behind it I think that causes a huge issue where people just want to get straight to the bottom of it okay is this are they the problem yes okay yeah they're the problem they're the ones who are causing this cost of living they're the ones causing this they're the ones causing that I mean in the UK we've got loads of issues mm. with this I mean there's this whole stuff of um, the asylum backlog cases uh, how uh, asylum seekers have been staying in hotels and how much the it's costing the taxpayers as well um, so all these you know things that and this again this stuff has been happening for a while but 
people didn't know about it. It wasn't until it's been now stoked up by the government, who've you know it's been um, picked up by them. So oh, we're going to stop illegal. We're going to stop the boats coming across. And they found out, okay, you know how are people where the current um, migrants being housed? Oh, they're being housed in hotels. Who's paying for this? You guys are paying for this. The taxpayers doing this. Yeah. And it's always become such a hot topic now. And like you, you know what what you mentioned also is I can imagine if I'm someone who maybe isn't so aware of the structure of this of this country i see one of those headlines i now search it on youtube the video i'm given is exactly the search that i've put are oh, muslim or oh, sorry i should say are oh, you know um these immigrants causing such and such problem yeah. the videos i'm going to be suggested as a result of watching that video again is going exactly, to be yeah. that one side you so will then, just see one polarized view so then yeah. all of a sudden your opinion as it started off now becomes oh actually this is fact everyone every video i'm seeing everyone are, are kind of telling me that yeah i am right to feel this way and this is how things should be so when you come round to the, that voting time for you it's almost black and white and obvious that this is the issue right now and the people who are voting on the other side they just are fully ignorant and unaware of what's really going on so yeah do you think that's it then do you think these the governments i guess are now picking up on these sentiments saying okay here's how we can get into power because we can you know people are this is becoming um quite a topic to talk about everyone doesn't like this let's talk about this and um it's almost like I don't want to draw comparisons, but when we think about the history of Europe uh, and and how our anti-Semitism worked and um, how, you know, in Germany, how they were able to, um, uh, you know, elect the, the far right, the Nazi party, how they came into power again, uh, driving on people's fears and stokes of this worldwide conspiracy that oh these Jews are the ones who are causing Germany's downfall they're the ones who caused us to lose World War One they're the ones who have caused this um, ultra inflation that we're living in all these you know they picked up on these things to get into power um, uh, again not drawing comparisons but almost as do is this what governments do they look at oh what's uh, the hot topic around let's pick up on this and, and then and then and then it's just obviously stoking the flames and, and driving it more yeah I, I completely agree i think that w- what's happening in the world you're seeing in loads of different countries whether it be um you know in the u.s or in south america there's instances where what you in effect have is a celebrity figure or someone with some sort of a pool and they're saying things which are you know they're they're eye-catching and people are wanting to subscribe to what that person's saying so you have like obviously we all heard about trump but even i I saw in the news in bangladesh the bangladeshi cricket captain has now gone for a role in his local constituency as as the head and he's getting lots of support because he's a celebrity figure no one's questioning well what kind of um you know policies does he have yeah Yeah. and what what does he know about politics no one questions this because they've already attached uh, emotion to this person because they're a celebrity you know they mm-hmm. represent they they view especially with a cricket player they say he represents our country in this sport so he can <laughs> represent our country in a different way mm-hmm. which is do you think that is, is that uh, that your almost your emotions get in the way of your judgment um so you end up thinking a certain way because that's yes. how you feel so this has got to be right yeah. you've not really understood the reasoning behind your emotions yeah also there's it's also um if you ever look at the especially in america and i've seen some videos of uh politicians in europe when the politicians run um they they have a large kind of crowd with them non-seated kind of just standing up and this kind of it creates like a not necessarily a mob mentality but it's a similar sort of thing because you say oh this person's doing it i'm gonna i want to be included in this as well oh oh my 
uncle, for example, is doing this, I'm going to go with him. And it, it kind of, you attach yourself socially, which then slowly like brings together with the fear of missing out. Yeah. That's fine. We're going we're gonna to take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll start moving on to more of, um, to looking into Islamophobia, anti-Islamic rhetoric around Europe. And then also what can we do as well as people and, 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 and I guess all of us as individuals to sort of um, help improve the situation. So we'll be back shortly. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Sometimes it is seen that a prayer is carried on until it is about to be accepted, and then the supplicant gets tired and the result is failure and frustration. Frustration results in the denial and effectiveness of prayer and gradually culminates in the denial of God. It is said, if there is a God who accepts prayer, why have not those prayers been accepted which were offered over a long period? If those who think thus and stumble were to reflect upon their lack of perseverance, they would come to know that all their frustration is the result of their own haste and impatience, which generated an ill concept of the powers of God and resulted in despair. So one should never get tired. With so many attacks on Islam and the Holy Prophet wasallam, let's set the record straight. He was a man of peace. He went through 13 long years of persecution for his beliefs. He was mocked and ridiculed, but he didn't retaliate because he was a man of peace. When he went to Taif to spread the message of Islam, he was pelted with stones until he was bleeding. Yet he did not retaliate because he was a man of peace. When he migrated to Medina, he established the Charter of Medina, allowing the Jews, Christians and Muslims to live together in harmony with full religious freedom because he was a man of peace. And after all the oppression that he faced, when he returned to Mecca as a king, he had the right and the power to punish every single one of them. Yet he forgave them because he was a man of peace. The Holy Prophet said that, no white man is superior to a black man, no Arab to a non-Arab. Rather, everyone is equal. He freed slaves and taught to treat them as brothers. He did all of this because he was sent as the Rahmatul Lil Alameen, a mercy for mankind. Indeed, the Holy Prophet was a true man of peace. A new station, the Voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the voice of Islam. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you all. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Live. Um, uh, we, we are now moving on to discussing our uh, Islamophobia and um, the focus on this, on, uh, on this from the far right um, and why, I guess, immigrants from Muslim-majority countries seems to be one of their main concerns um, so I know um, we 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 wanted to come on to Islamophobia and sort of look into this, but before we start talking about it specifically, I mean, 
it's not actually a, 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 a legally defined sort of word, is it? I mean, I, I know that the, the British government didn't accept it. Yeah, yeah. So the actual origin of it is, well, simply Islam and then phobia, so fear of Islam. And that started back in 1910s by a, a Frenchman who's writing about it in a book. Mm-hmm. Since then, the definition has really changed. So, you know, previously Islamophobia was a fear of Islam, whereas now it's also a hatred of and prejudice against the religion of Islam or Muslims in general. So as time's gone on, this has developed. And like you, you rightly say, Shweb, um, more recently, that's something which has come into discussion where is this a fair term to be using? And um, it's now kind of, uh, it's less used, um, more so for the reason that it can kind of cross over into anti-Muslim. So if someone's against Islam, you know, one thing is having a fear of something, another one thing is being against it. So should those should those two things be treated as one, or should they be treated independently? No, um, exactly. Um, and I, I I also sort of think whether how I guess events around the world are commented on, how media reports certain events. I mean, would then if this term was to be legally defined would they then not be allowed to say the sort of things they say now um i mean let's say we're talking about um you know attacks in in, in around the world but we i think what we do know what we have seen is if it's um a muslim person who's committed attack whether it's a knife attack or a gunman or whatever it could be it's very likely to be categorized as a terrorist attack um, whereas what we've seen so re- as, as a recent the Prague shooting we had um, I mean we know it wasn't a Muslim person um, but again if had it been someone Muslim it would have been char- characterized as a terrorist attack but it, it wasn't so it hasn't been characterized so if that term it has been legally I don't know what the definition that people have prescribed for what it should look like or what it should read as um, but then would it I think this is another thing where people would think they would lose that freedom of speech to be able to say things about Islam or say these sort of things and that's another uh, fear they have where you know they don't want to lose this yeah I, I think initially the idea of that term was something of just uh, innocence and honesty where someone has a fear of something that they don't really know about and I think people's general opinion was that once you learn enough about Islam, it's no longer a phobia because you realise the true teachings of Islam. It's not, you know, to condone terrorist activities or anything like that. It's something which is uh, obviously quite good. And now there are people, due to, I think, ignorance of actually understanding what Islam is, actually their views have become anti-Muslim. And they dislike a lot of the things which are associated with being a Muslim because of what they hear Oh you know, Islam may be against women's rights, it may be, you know, pro-war and all of these other things, when that's simply not the case after a little bit of reading. So I, I personally feel that that term has now gone into something where um, people who feel that they're against uh, Muslims in some sort of a way, they can use that term and be free of any criticism mm-hmm. when really what they're saying is something which is more anti-Muslim. Of course. So, I mean, let's explore why why is this the case, though? I mean, what, what what's driving behind this? And, I mean, do, would you recognise that there's been a rise in this? I mean, certainly I think there has been. I think it's been reported on, on, on a lot of... Um, uh, a lot of research has shown that there's been a, a rise in this. I mean, would you guys agree? Yeah, I mean, certainly that I think there's been a noticeable rise, especially with, like, what's going on within the Middle East and even previously what what has gone on before then so there's sort of a social stigma against islam 
So I know just kind of leading on from uh, the first half of this hour, we were talking about the far right figures. Mm-hmm. Um, so in it is uh, the Netherlands, I believe, the leading politician uh, called and. I might pronounce this wrong. I, I don't speak <laughs> Dutch, but um, I believe it's Geert Wilders. Yeah, yeah. Um, he he's the leader of the Dutch Party of Freedom, and he's just won the majority seats in Parliament. Uh-huh. Um, not in this campaign, but previously in campaigns in 2017 and 2016, uh, he said, and I quote in interviews with the Guardian, uh, "I would rather have no Quran at all in Holland." At least we have outlawed Mein Kampf. <laughs> so he's completely he's comparing the Quran and Islam to essentially the Nazis. And he's also said in 2016, so that first one was from 2017. In 2016, he said, close the borders for immigrants from Islamic countries immediately. So he's not saying close the border for immigrants. He's specifically outlining it to Islamic countries. And, you know, if... if just a little bit off topic but I bet he has not himself read the Quran I was going to say do you think he has any Muslim friends I, he has any I Muslim don't, I don't um, think, uh, colleagues I, I don't think so he's very nas- nationalistic but and that, again that's so being nationalistic I don't understand it's, it's, how, yeah people get the idea of Islam isn't a country it's yeah. not a race it's not a people it's it's, it's, what, it's a religion it's an ideology you can't that's not associated to a single demographic it can be for anyone, right? Um, and it's just sad. I mean, I mean, I'm sure, but you know, I'll let you. But is this? Do you do you guys think that this is a political agenda rather than an actual sort of straight up attack on Islam? Because the, you'll you'll hear this same rhetorics or you hear the same sort of speeches and talks in the UK whenever there's an election coming up, mm. right? So whenever there's an election coming up, the far right starts t- talking about. Islam, talk, start talking about culture, start talking about the British values. So, is it a bit of a mix of that, or is it? Do you guys think that this is just, you know, this is actually an attack on Islam? I think it's it's a bit of both, really. So they they use Islam to further their own political goals. So they say they know a certain amount of people don't they they lack knowledge of Islam, and they lack the understanding of, in fact, what it is. Um, and then they use that like lack of knowledge amongst the people to then push their agenda forward because even me to a certain degree when whenever someone says a Muslim attack I'll think oh they're going to say terrorist because of how it's like how they've started to associate it especially after the 9-11 attacks they didn't prescribe them oh these people have attacked they've said no Muslims attacked them Mm-hmm. And then from then on, whenever a Muslim attacked, as you said before, it's been a terrorist. Like when the um, the London Bridge attacks happened a couple of years ago, I remember the first thing I saw, terrorist attack on London Bridge. But they lack the understanding of the definition of terrorist. Mm-hmm. The terrorist is to push a political agenda forward using their, like, their... I guess Actions. any agenda yeah. forward, yeah, using 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 to to instoking fear, yeah. or or but, violence and but yeah. just because someone of a certain religion attacks someone else, doesn't mean they're attacking them on the basis of religion. Mm-hmm. But people they don't associate with this, and then the politicians say, 
oh terrorist religion which it is not and and then they garner their followers who think this as well so I guess what we're saying here is and, and sorry before I continue just say for everyone if you did hear a strange new voice this is our colleague Gadus who has also joined us so thank you very much for, for joining as well thank you for having me <laughs> um, so I mean yeah with this I mean I guess the reason for why we've sort of seen a, a rise in this can we say that uh, would we agree that this is because of governments using, I guess, this as a scapegoat for their own agenda or the media just polarising this or highlighting this continuously. I guess since 9-11, there's been a, a lot of focus on this where, I guess, people, you know, prior to this might not have known what a Muslim was or what, or if they heard the term Muslim, they didn't know. But I guess a lot of people now, when you think of Muslim, you think of one thing straight away and it's that view that you've gained from, from, from the TV or from media or whatever it may be. But I think if you don't have any knowing actual Muslims or have Muslim friends with people around you I think you're going to have a very different view yeah I think that um, what, what's happening really and coming to what Kudus kind of asked is that in these countries through a lack of funding or a bad organisation they're struggling in some ways whether it be the healthcare system schooling system so the first thing that a political party is going to want to do is give an answer for why that thing is happening and a very easy answer and an easy people to target are going to be immigrants who typically, um, at least due to the current situation in the world, are Muslim anyway. So then it's very easy to label them as these are the problem people. And those same people that they're labelling are the people that don't have the voice to defend themselves. And, you know, it's quite it's quite unfair. Actually, my previous uh, job, I was working um, uh, researching tuberculosis, which is a disease which is mostly cured in the western world people have you know we've figured out how to how to treat that but it's something which is on the rise again and the reason for that is because there's immigrants coming over from abroad and now that disease has now actually elevated in the uk so i work with, i worked in a group of people who were focused on migrant healthcare, and we need to look at these migrants as people who are part of this country and what our research kind of led to is obviously there's the medical side of things but especially it led to the to us realizing that those migrant people really didn't have a voice we did interviews with them and 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 uh we had questionnaires and first of all they weren't aware that they had access to healthcare they weren't aware that they could go to a gp that they had rights and obviously if you can imagine a lot of these people maybe you know they can't speak english themselves so what are they really going to do and, and to understand the system and the system itself is structured where those people simply don't have a voice and they're being targeted and they're the scapegoats and it causes those far-right groups or people who promote Islamophobia to get votes and to get into power. Again, so I think drawing back to what Kudu said, is, do you think that this is something that um, people generally feel this way or is this just an agenda just to, to get yourself in power or to get yourself noticed or are are people genuinely feeling these these concerns or is this is what they really believe and think? You know, I just want to add quickly, yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, I've been quiet this whole hour, but um, there was this um, survey that went out uh, and it was conducted, it was finance, it's called Falcon Project. It was a massive survey uh, conducted in spring of 2021 um, using representative online panels. And it was regarding political statements in Germany, France, and Italy. So what they did was um, in this survey, there was a rating of between one to four, four being strongly agree, and then one being obviously agree. Um, and there were different categories. Um, so uh, the categories were strong leadership, traditional mm. values, and family, 
minority rights, cultural diversity, and conspira- conspirational thinking. So in each of the categories, there was a there was a statement, and then that statement was then rated one to four. And in each uh, country, how it's listed in the table uh, has an overall score. And for example, what we've just been discussing <coughs> under the category of cultural di- cultural diversity, um, the statement is ethnic and religious minorities and immigrants are destroying all that is good about this country and for this particular uh, item this category four is strongly disagree now germany so if, if four is strongly disagree i'll just ask you guys there what do you reckon the ratings are so i'll just say the statement again ethnic and religious minorities and immigrants are destroying all that is good about this country now four is strongly disagree so for Germany, France, and Italy, what are we guessing? So for example, Germany, I'll just put it out to everyone. Would you like the so rain? I would say they would have agreed on that. More, more, more okay, agreed so, on that. So agree would be three. Yeah. Yeah. So Germany scored 3.06 on that. France scored the lowest at 1.61. And Italy, maybe unsurprisingly, scored as well 2.98. So this, is, this kind of backs up what everyone's saying about... Um, you know, cultural diversity and like uh, immigration being a strong point when it comes to these um, these ideologies. And it's a shame. I think there's there's I guess religious groups and I guess Muslims as well. So I mean, our community ourselves, we do a lot to promote peace and to promote goodness and to show the world what Islam, the true teachings of Islam is and what they are. Uh, we do this with our outreach work. We do this with um, various, I guess we've got this show here. We've got our television show as well, um, um, uh, you know, with, with various events as well with for externals um, to try and show the real message and, and the true teachings of Islam. Yeah. We also have lots of stores mm. on the high streets. You can ask any questions. You can actually call in on this radio sh- station this live show here and call us and ask us anything really there's a lot of work going around yeah to dispel i guess the misinformation about uh, what people people think about islam uh i think the the fear of people ultimately think though you're coming here you want to change our country you want to change our laws you want us all our women wearing these clothes and you want it but i mean it but it's, it's, i feel also there's there's a bit of a responsibility on the the Muslim population in this country of course, 100%. To, to actually uh, integrate with the society. I mean, from the Ahmadiyya Muslim perspective, we don't have an issue. We don't. We never think. I mean, for us, Islam integrates very well with the, with the culture. We have no issues with integration. I think the whole community is integrated into our local well. yeah. local societies, local uh, areas, communities. But on a wider scale. For the Muslims generally in the UK, I think there's a responsibility to ensure that we integrate, but we also spread the message of Islam peacefully. And we explain to them how Islam is so, I mean, how peaceful Islam is mm. and what the beauty of Islam is. And just while you're, you know, we're moving on to this side, I guess, in terms of what responsibilities do we have and, and what, I guess, can be done about this far right or this anti Islamic rhetoric that's been coming about and, you know, I guess you know against immigration from Muslim countries I want to think about what that can be done I want to play a short clip from um, the Review of Religions um, who where there was a discussion between uh, an uh, Ahmadi Muslim Imam and a Christian preacher uh, on on what we can do to agree on peace so I'm going to play that now instead of looking at someone as an Israeli or a Palestinian it's like this is a mother this is a grandmother and 
that should affect us, right? Like the, the, the killing of civilians, for instance, if one type of civilian death bothers you more than the other, I'm sorry, you're not doing it right. That's bad religion. It just doesn't make yeah. sense. When I think about God, I think about the creator. We're humans and we're coming from creation. If we don't start there, all the tribal differences and the categories come in. I think God provides us with humanity. That's what it provides us with. In Islam, the Holy Quran refers to tribal differences so that you can recognize each other. Yes. So those, what we call differences, how we identify within ourselves, exist so that we can build understand. It's jahaliya, right? The age of ignorance, right? To be divisive, to see these categories before people's humanity yeah. is actually ignorant. Because we are humans, first and foremost. I was saying this earlier. You have a heart, you have a brain, you have lungs, like all of this stuff. We all have that stuff. When you're cut, you bleed. You don't bleed green and I bleed blue. We all bleed red. And I think we really have to start at that humanity. And that, that's God. Yeah. And then we can talk about differences. And that's why Islam says that all of these moral qualities, they are what separate us and separated us at one point in history from the animal kingdom and gave us the sapience for which we call ourselves the homo sapiens. Um, and I think that's important to acknowledge as well. Yeah. In terms of the global, I, I want to definitely get your thoughts. His Holiness, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mizza Masrur Ahmad, has been at the forefront of so many efforts. And he has spoken about the recognition of the Creator, of a common Creator, of one God, being the most important peg into that pathway to peace. I just want to pick your brain. What do you think? What's your perspective? I think His Holiness is right on the money. I think this understanding that there's a creator created all of this. It created all of this. All of us. All of us. Everything. Yeah. That, that's the, that's the, base exactly. Level. Base level. I, that's, you know, you, you went like this and, and, and literally I was thinking that is our greatest common denominator, isn't it? It is. Right. The human. Yeah. And it starts, I think, peace intellectually, but also physically needs to start there. Where you're not seeing nationalities, you're not seeing tribes. You're like, okay, this is, instead of looking at someone as an Israeli or a Palestinian, it's like, this is a mother. This is a grandmother. And that should affect us. Right? Like, the, the, the killing of civilians for instance, if one type of civilian death bothers you more than the other, I'm sorry, you're not doing it right. That's bad religion. It just doesn't make yeah. sense. You haven't understood life. No, if one life were, is worth more than another because of skin color or nationality, you haven't understood life. And you know this point that you raised about looking at someone, I thought that was so beautiful, looking at someone and saying, instead of seeing the skin color, seeing that's someone's mother, that's yeah. someone's sister. Well, you extend it and you realize... And that's where you, you, you learn to harness selfishness and turn it into selflessness. Where you look at it and that's someone's mother. I have a mother. Yeah. 
Yeah, someone's sister. I have a sister. And you can really extend it, right? It's it's bigger than family. Like you could be an employee, you can be a colleague, you can be a community member, you can be a citizen. Yeah. All of those identities I'm more comfortable with when we start these dialogues. It has to start there. When we start getting to the tricky things, nationality, religion, ethnicity, those are really difficult conversations. But if you don't have the rapport and the trust, which comes through talking about yeah. human, yeah. then all of these other questions are going to spiral into the black hole of divisiveness. So really, His Holiness is right. Like It starts with humanity, and then everything else comes. Yeah. Have you ever heard St. Francis's no, poem? No, no. There's a part of it towards the end. St. Francis says, part of this journey that we're on in life, the human experience, it's to be loved as to love. So you receive... But if it's not sent back out, is that love? I'm not sure. Doesn't love need a full circle type of thing, right? Like you, That's true. You can't properly experience love if you're only receiving it and not giving it. We've been talking to so many people about, about uh, the existence of God over the last few days here in D.C. And they keep saying, where's the evidence for God? And I go, well, where's the evidence that your mother loves you? It's in the beneficence and the benefit that you derive you see the effect of her love but what the universe has given you is infinitely more than your own mother and they won't let that love enter their life they won't consider that every breath that they take is an embrace from the universe that's an expression of love you can call it universe but you have to say that that is love I remember a quote of His Holiness the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community says, if you love the art, you must love the artist. Mm, beautiful. If you love the creation, then you'll fall in love with the creator. It you doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. You know? like yeah. It, you know, that genuine feeling of love, it's like peace. Peace yeah. is not just merely the absence of violence. Peace is about building friendships and relationships. I always think about Dumbledore's quote, right? And just so many like epic quotes. He says, don't pity the dead, Harry. Pity the living and those who live without love. Right. And, and I think the greatest thing, even with this big phenomenon of Harry Potter and all of these stories, is that the greatest superpower in the end is always love, and it resonates with us. So I think we have to step up as believers and show that when you have a connection with God, you have something to show for it. Otherwise, we're not doing a very good job of being brand ambassadors. It's like a person who's bald going and selling serum, serum for hair growth. God Almighty says in the Holy Quran that look, it's in the remembrance of God, in factoring God into the equation at every level of life, that your hearts will find true peace. And wherever that's, as someone was saying the other day, that human beings are built with a God-sized hole inside of us that only God can fill, right? When we think about the forces that are kind of obstructing that grand vision of peace, it's enmity between various factions. And the Holy Quran says, respond to enmity and negativity with so much positivity, so much love that that person who was your enemy becomes a warm friend. Look, no matter how hard-hearted I may be, if you keep showing me love, showing me that you're there for my betterment you're on my team well that that's what loving the enemy is isn't it yeah nowadays why are more and more young people not willing to get committed 
to marriage? Why is the institution of marriage itself under attack? And then on the other side, we, we've got depression and anxiety. You don't have a life partner that you commit to. When we talk about peace, I'm very much someone who starts at the micro level. I think it starts individually with us, with yeah. our actions yeah. every day, 24-7, how we treat people. I think that's where the change comes. It comes from the bottom rather than the top up. Yeah. I do believe it starts with us. And it's, I tell my students this, a lot of these global conflicts we have, they're like icebergs. You can't just plow through the iceberg. You got to take a chisel and you got to start chiseling away, right? So peace is not going to happen like that. It's not going to happen overnight, but it has to start with us. Yeah. If we're not about it, yeah. if we're not interested in it, then we're not going to have anything. I think we become very indignant in the name of justice when it comes to ourself. And, and I feel this is one thing that religion teaches that a lot of, has been lost on a lot of us, is we should stand up like lions for the injustice to the people around us, especially those who can't speak for themselves. We say we want peace. These are the social experiments that life throws us into every day. Just think about how you and I behave during rush hour after a long day at work. Everyone's had a long day at work. Everyone's stuck in the same traffic jam. But if, like you said, if I remember that, hey, that person might be having a horrible day, or if I remember, hey, I'm accountable before God for this, whether I let this person pass or not, right? It has an impact on our behavior. So you talk about, you know, talk about the micro. I feel like these everyday things are also critical. One thing I wanted to add that I, I think would conversation on my part being complete is people ask me about peace and I'm like one of the names of God is the source of peace that and every attempt to try to create long-term peace without factoring God into the equation is 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 uh, designed to fail because for example if I'm not at peace with myself and I'm not at peace with my creator and I don't believe, like, for example, I'm going to face injustice in life. And I, this will be my last point. I'm going to face injustice in life, no matter what. They say life is not fair, etc. But if I'm not at peace with the fact that there is a God who's watching, who will speak on my behalf and who is more than capable than myself to speak on my behalf, and I fight tooth and nail to get revenge, and I will never be at peace. And the people with whom I'm interacting will never be at peace. So I feel like that attribute of God being the source of peace is... Oh, yeah, you know, we, we see people wanting peace, but they're not at peace with themselves. Yeah. So how can we have wider peace if you, you can't even have peace, right? So it's like... We're our own worst enemy. We can be. That's for, that's for sure. So I know uh, this um, clip was mainly focused, uh, more religiously focused, but I think um, it's really important. I think everyone in the world... I guess whether you're whatever, which whichever way you lean, the the you want peace. Everyone wants to live in peace. No one wants to live in agony or in a, you know in, in, in any sort of trouble. Everyone wants peace. So, how to achieve this? I think um, one point I really picked up on this was the fact that how we should look at each other as human um, and look at each other as um, the similarities of one another. If we're so focused on looking at what's different, I don't think so you will ever achieve peace because if I'm always picking oh me and you can't be friends because you're this I'm that you're that I'm this right it's it, you you would never find harmony and um, you know we we are living in a world where 
we're becoming more and more connected but it seems and, and well it seems that's where we should be moving but it seems like we want to put up walls and barriers and we just can't do this in this world i mean you can't stop international trade or something right um rather than i guess pu- putting up walls if you were to try to get to know someone understand their perspective and it goes from both sides i mean i'm sure we can get someone from far right to explain what their issues are and we might sympathize with some some things that they're going through we don't know uh and and vice versa so it's not the case of just i guess you know thinking oh the solution is to separate us all and don't have multiculturalism because it doesn't work because I just don't think you can stop that it's just the way the world is moving um, I think you need to embrace it and I think you need to uh, find similarities I don't know if anyone else got anything yeah I mean just going on from that I think definitely the lack of understanding of the religion of Islam is definitely the main sort of component of it which people like they they stigmatise mm-hmm. so if if you actually look into it Islam, the name, it means peace. Mm-hmm. So peace is not a... You can't associate peace with then, like, terrorism, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's they don't coincide with each other. They're opposites. So how could a religion called peace then be a terrorist religion, which is should be the first question? Another thing I think picked up from this uh, clip we just heard is that, you know, he's talking about that if people are not in peace within themselves inside of you you don't have peace yourself it's very difficult to be peaceful outside i mean how can you achieve peace if you don't if you if you have issues going on on the inside mm. and you're always trying to find s- solutions to those issues or blame someone for those issues because you're not at peace yourself so that's one of the things i think was was really uh, which struck me because that's so true. You, you need, in order to achieve peace, you need to be peaceful yourself, right? You need to have peace and harmony within you, and then you can go out and achieve peace. Mm. Yeah. And like, um, <coughs> kind of coming off that, what I also took from that that clip is that when we think about far right, typically those are people who are more of a religious kind of viewpoint on things, whether it be Christianity, Islam, whatever it may be. There is an element of that. So when we think about what you were talking about, similarities, if you have people who all believe in one God, or believe in God at least, let's say, mm. that really should be a way to unite people. Mm-hmm. So when they see something like Islam, the first thing they should think of, they believe in God. And they're similar to us rather than you know different from us. I wouldn't even just stop it at believing in God because there's, there's quotes that say that there's a number of, I don't know what the percentage was, but atheists, whilst they're not they don't believe in God they believe in a higher power yeah. so I mean there's there's still similar whether you are religious or not there's so many similarities that you can draw on that this should unite you, you yeah know, I mean just I want to read a quick quote from the Quran which is the holy book of Islam so in the name of Allah the most gracious ever merciful and I'm, I'm going to cut just halfway through so it says we have created from you a male and female and we have made you into tribes and sub-tribes that you may recognize one each other, one another. Verily, the most honorable amongst you, in sight of Allah, is he who is the most righteous among you. Surely Allah is all-knowing and all-aware. So th- this message in the Quran is not of violence to one another. It says those who are most righteous, who do rights by other people, 
which are in the eyes of God in the Islamic belief the the way that Allah will recognize you and bless you so we don't we don't believe in harming other people will do us any good because it won't like harming other people does not help whatsoever so that's just the one Quranic quote but there there are definitely many more that emphasize peace Exactly. No, I I think uh, that's a very well said and nice way to sort of summarise the end of it. Um, but again, um, I guess the focus is to sort of draw on what makes us similar rather than what separates us is what diff- makes us different. Uh, thank you very much for listening in. Uh, we'll be back next week with another segment of Saturday Morning Live. Uh, as always, you can call in to us on 0208 687 7878 or to X us at Voice of Islam UK. Thank you very much for joining us in the studio, boys. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you all. <laughs>